<laughs> and some people said Alan Alda with an Uzi. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, and welcome to a special edition of Off Message. I'm Politico founding editor John Harris, and that was former Chicago Mayor Rahm Emanuel. And I'll be my old charming self. He's had many jobs over the years, chief of staff to Barack Obama, a senior advisor to Bill Clinton. I've known him for 25 years as a reporter. I talked to Mayor Emanuel recently because he's got a new book out, The Nation City, Why Mayors Are Now Running the World. And I wanted to ask him about that and get his take on the politics of 2020. Here's our conversation. So, Mayor Emanuel, let's start out. The name of the book is The Nation City. Mm-hmm. What is the nation city as opposed to a nation state, and why do you think this is the future? Well, a couple things. One, uh, I think the center of gravity of our politics is moving much and much more local. If the economy is global, all politics is a local job. Uh, when you think about where you live, you work, you play, where you're going to raise your kids— And then the things that you rely on, transportation, schools, parks, libraries, safety, those are all services that are delivered by local government. And this is not the first time we've ever kind of been where the lead is happening more locally than nationally. But what's different is not only those innovations in those specific areas of parks, libraries, or education, and I can talk about a little more about that, but cities then are taking on things that used to be totally the responsibility of the national government. Take something, I happen to be in New York when you do, uh, interview me. I did this the other day in Chicago. But G- Mayor Bloomberg and I, I learned it from him, pushed new research centers. He created uh, the uh, research center with Cornell down at uh, Roosevelt Island on Roosevelt uh, called the 78. We pushed what is called a discovery center with the University of Illinois' Computer Science and Engineering School. The whole idea of a new research center of a university, that would have been a national or state function. It's become city. Climate change. Chicago had the only city, major city with coal plants in it. We shut those down. Those are supposed to be the policies in the national government. We're taking on that responsibility. Same thing. Do you think the failure uh, is – do you think this is happening principally because of the failure of the national government or are cities somehow in a place to be more creative and more nimble? Uh I would add a th- uh, both of those plus one is cities have to do it for their constituents and they're demanding it. City of Chicago, unlike not unlike New York, L.A., Nashville, Louisville, they want to see what the city's doing to change greenhouse gas emissions. They want to see how a city is going to address what I call the inclusive economic growth. The federal government's walked away from those things. Cities have stepped forward to handle those things and. Your constituents are demanding it. They want to live in a city that has uh, high-end environmental policies and is contributing to a better community. So it's both because the federal government has stepped back, cities by necessity have stepped forward, and our constituents are demanding it. You've got – in the book, you've got some bouquets for both uh, Mayor Mike Bloomberg and uh, Mayor Pete Buttigieg. Mm -hmm. Are you seeing examples – in their presidential campaign of how they're taking these ideas uh, and nationalizing them. I have to say, honestly, listening to them, I don't actually hear as much about the experience of their cities um, as I might expect to. Well, it's interesting. So since you and I love politics, as you know, you know, Mayor Pete, in my view, having one Iowa got stolen that win. He didn't get the normal bounce because of what happened in Iowa. 
He didn't have a, he had an okay debate performance, nothing great right before New Hampshire. Yet he comes within a point, point and a half of uh, Bernie Sanders. And my view, the reason that was is because Biden ran this ad ridiculing what he did as mayor. And I think it actually rebounded his better because that's government and how people live their lives. Streetlights, cobblestones, safety. You know, like, you don't, you right now look at the national government, it's closer to Disneyland on the Potomac than it is to actually getting something done. And I actually think that benefited to him. Second is, I think, you know, one of the things that I think about the presidency, while you look at policies that you will share and you will agree with, you really want to look at the qualities of the character of the individual. I have nice words to say about both mayors. I also know they know where they failed. And they also learned from that failure and applied it going forward. No chief executive does not fail. And I kind of – I used to say to President Clinton, if we knew in the first year of our first term what we knew by the first year of our second term, we'd be geniuses. You're going to fail. The question is do you have the character to learn from it, the judgment to learn from it, apply it going forward? If you think of presidential history, thank God Kennedy failed at the Bay of Pigs because those were the lessons he needed for the Cuban Missile Crisis. And he learned from them. And I think that's what – so when I look at – you know. If I had a criticism of Mike Bloomberg, at the debate, he talked about management. Like, talk about cold. That sounded so Dukakis-like. He didn't talk about what he did, even on gun violence, what he did on uh, education and improve the high school graduation and why that matters. He didn't talk about what he – he has an interesting policy on earned income tax credit for single men and making them the breadwinners again that they want to be, but because of – the jobs don't pay and the tax structure doesn't reward them. They can't be the entire adult they want to be. To me, there was lack of aspiration. If I, we have, I've watched all nine debates. I've also heard all seven and a half hours about Medicare for all. Guaranteed in the next 20 years, I'll do the over under, Medicare for all will not pass. I'm tired of it. Where's the aspiration? Where's the inspiration about how we're going to go there and how we're going to make sure everybody gets there? That, to me, speaks. Nobody has talked about the death of despair, the suicide, the alcohol, the opiasm. They've talked about their legislation to address it, but they haven't talked about it in human terms and the consequences. And the times they've gotten close, like when uh, Amy, Senator Globachar, talked about hearing people's voices knowing those stories because those are the stories she understood having grown up as an, uh, in the Iron Range. That, to me, the humanity of this, the aspiration that calls people to uh, not only their better angels but their better selves uh, is missing. Sure. So, Mr. Mayor, if we look back over your career, um, mm-hmm. early in your career you were part <laughs> of Bill Clinton's New Democratic Movement uh-huh. in 1992. Um, in uh, the administration, you worked closely with fellow centrists like Bruce Reed on uh, centrist ideas like welfare reform, balanced budget. When you went to Congress, you helped uh, Nancy Pelosi regain uh, the speakership and regain the the House Democratic majority by going into districts that had been taken by Republicans Mm -hmm. and uh, finding candidates who could capture the center. So I, I, I do see you in an political and ideological terms as somebody who has uh, uh, been an occupant of the center. And yet the centrist movement that Bill Clinton stood for 
to some extent Hillary Clinton stood for, seems really an eclipse in our politics today. Why mm-hmm. is that? Well, two things. I'm not. Let me I, let me at least challenge the premise. I'm not. I'm not. I don't think you're. I think you're accurate without being a hundred percent accurate. I mean, the largest caucus inside the House of Representatives are what are called the New Democrats, which are a direct ideological, political lineage from Bill Clinton, or the New Deal, New, uh, uh, what would be called New Democrats, DLC people. So that's A. B, um, I think we're center-left rather than just left. C, you can't separate from policy from politics, nor the other way around. Bill Clinton and Barack Obama in both their election and their re-election ran the same playbook. In 2006, when I was chair of the DCCC and we took back the House in the six-year Bush's tenure, and in 2018, when the Democrats took back uh, the House. So you've had six elections under one model where the Democrats have made unbelievable gains either at the White House level or the congressional level. And to me, there is no reason to throw that successful playbook out. I mean, right after 2018, where you had Democrats running on pre-existing condition and other and controlling health care costs, we're having this massive debate about Medicare for all, and none of it has to deal with cost control. None of it has to deal with the fact that your kids are need health care and your grandparents and your parents who are now living in the basement also need health care, and you're getting squeezed on the cost. And we just, and here's the thing, Elections are supposed to be models of how to then govern. And we took this model and immediately seeing that we won seats that we flipped from red to blue, some of the biggest gains that happened since the Watergate class of 74, and we throw it out. It's nuts. And we're advocating getting rid of the Affordable Care Act and replacing it with something that can't happen and shouldn't happen. And to me— so we. And I don't, and I would say to you, if we're going to win, you can either go learn the lesson of 92 and 96, learn the lesson of 2006, learn the lesson of 2008, learn the lesson of 2012, learn the lesson of 2018. And let's not forget, between 2008 and 2012, when President Obama gets elected, gets reelected, it was in that time that Bernie Sanders wanted to challenge him. Didn't think he was doing what he wanted him to do from, quote, unquote, Big P progressive politics. And I just don't think that's the way. I think we're more center left than we are left. And I believe you can't see the gains and the policies you want to gain on without power. And I'm okay getting power, but I think it's careless. And in a time in which you have this president that you're not applying six electoral models that are all the same to how you want to apply in 2020. Some people think that Senator Sanders would be applying the lessons of 1972. Uh, do you what, view the it McGovern, as a stark the term? McGovern lesson? Yes, or 1984. Well, um, look, you don't even have to go that far back. Boris Johnson, the mayor of London, becomes prime minister. Not exactly a loved individual. And the uh, Labor Party, which are our intellectual and ideological and political soulmates, run Jeremy Corbyn. It's a trounce. It's a total trounce. You don't have to go back to 72 in American history. We have an example from six months ago under a fact that the country did not want to vote for Boris Johnson. The fact that you make arguments of the sort that you're making here now often makes you a villain 
<laughs> among some people and, in my and own commentators home. on the left. Yeah. How do you feel about that? Fine. Does that bother you? No. I just, I mean, to me, uh, it's not like we share the same goals. So take health care, which I don't, I don't support Medicare for all. Fought hard to get the ACAC done. Fought hard to get children's health insurance program done. Was a point person for both presidents. We share the same vision of health care where it's not a burden on a family to the point of bankruptcy. The question is, how do you make the progress it's needed to make? And also, since we're in government and we believe in progressive government, that is, you want people to believe in government, not making promises that will never happen. Nothing could disappoint people more than a pledge that will never see the light of day. It will once again reward their cynicism for all of us that are work and toil in the field of progressive politics. Our goals are very similar. We share similar aspirations. What we don't, what I don't agree with is making pledges that will never ever be realized in people's lives. I'm not sure are the right policy and will only reward their cynicism about those of us that make big promises. And so do they attack? Yeah. I think some people on the left are more angry at Bill Clinton and Barack Obama than they are at Donald Trump. And I think the left has got it all upside down. Barack Obama, and again, I want to repeat, Senator Sanders almost ran against him in 2012, almost primaried him. Barack Obama was not the problem. Bill Clinton, the first president to both Democrat to win, uh, outside of Jimmy Carter since 68, then get reelected, the first one since Roosevelt, the guy that expanded the minimum wage, the one who had the greatest gains in, in, in eliminating or reducing, rather, income disparity, had an unprecedented growth in the new economy, brought peace to the Middle East, passed the assault weapon ban and the Brady Bill. He is not good enough? I think sometimes people's ideology get in the way of seeing the results. So, Mr. Mayor, I first met you in winter 1995. It was just after the 1994 elections, which yeah. uh, uh, were, were bad elections for Democrats. Mm-hmm. And I think just in personal terms, uh, at least as I've understood the story, there were some people say, look, as a, a payback for that, uh, the difficult first two years, we should fire Rom. Um, and yet you weren't fired. Uh, they gave you an office. They gave what you sometimes described as a toy phone, and you used it anyway. <laughs> yeah. uh, give me some lessons from your life, mm-hmm. both in terms of how to face political adversity and personal adversity. Uh, what are secrets? So just to get the f- sequencing right, it was in the first se- seven months I had gotten out of the crosshairs with the first lady. Recommendation, if you work at the White House, don't cross – either the first lady or the spouse of the president. But I given advice that was not received well as related to the travel office. And then I got sent down from political director, stripped, special projects. And I took on the assault weapon ban, the Brady Bill, NAFTA, and I worked my way back up to being senior advisor. And when I was in the irony is when I lost the title and job, um, Amy, who I was then dating, now my wife, had moved to D.C., and I basically had no job. And I really put it on the line and 
to President Clinton's credit, remembering what I had done for him in the campaign, he said, okay, I'm going to give you a second chance. And I earned my way back. I also learned who my friends were. And I knew that when I was also down inside myself to find the resources <clears throat> to prove something. Um, and in 95, when all was uh, for naught, and we took a beating like nothing else, um, I learned the most important thing. You never give in and you never give up. Um, you just learn and then apply it going forward. Um, but you also learn who's valuable in your life, who's a real friend, who isn't a real friend, but is friendly, but not a friend. And also, in the end of the day, you have yourself both to blame and to call upon to uh, sit a better height. And um, <clears throat> that failure taught me a tremendous amount about uh, both myself and what I was capable of. And uh, uh, you didn't bring it up, but you know it. I mean, in my personal life, I'd almost died once. I had an accident, uh, got five blood infections, two bone infections, gang, uh, 106 fever, 105 fever. And I almost died for, it was touch and go for about 72 hours. And I was a total screw up in high school. And it was the summer I was supposed to go to college. They didn't want me to go to college. I was seven weeks in the hospital. And I swore that if I ever got out, out of that hospital, I was going to make something of myself. And that I've been chasing that and motivated by that failure and that near-death experience both career-wise and physically my whole life. And um, those are lessons that you learn. And to me, your failures become the guideposts uh, to your uh, successes. So how much is it uh, like the – like Sanders can't be stopped. That seems to be like all of a sudden, like today's right. prevailing wisdom. Like, how much do you uh, think that? Of course, he can be stopped, but he can't. Here's what I think is interesting. Uh, and again, I my I'm colored by what I did with President Clinton and President Obama. Mm-hmm. At this point, ten, twenty, fifteen, twenty years ago, if you keep finishing third or fourth, you're done. Because of the internet and because of the money, you got third play third people who finish consistently third or fourth. Or fifth, staying in. Ten years ago, this would be down to a two, mano to mano. You have five candidates splitting up, quote unquote, the moderate or not hard, non hard left. But you have candidates who have done, and I don't care. Senator Warren has yet to finish first or second. Amy Klobuchar has yet to finish first or second. Mm-hmm. Mayor Pete has finished first, second, and, I don't know, fourth, third. Joe Biden has finished second, fifth, and fourth. Ten years ago, every one of those candidates, and Tom Steyer, every one of those candidates who has not finished in the top four in any place would be out. Out of money, out of luck. Yes, there's no re- nobody and nobody's going to get out. They don't have to. Welcome to the new politics. Yeah, right. Uh, thank you very much for your time. Good luck with the book. Thanks, John. That was my conversation with former Chicago Mayor Rahm Emanuel. He's the author of The Nation City: Why Mayors Are Now Running the World. My column this week is about my conversation with Mayor Emanuel. Please read it on Politico.com. Thanks so much for listening.